evening. Uh, tonight's reading is on page 1060 in the Church Bibles. It's Luke 23, verses 26 to 49. So page 1060, Luke 23, 26 to 49. As the soldiers led him, Jesus, away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was put on his way, sorry, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it, it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Do keep your Bibles open at uh, that passage. Let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, as we um, have heard your word read this evening, so we realise that we are walking on sacred ground and we pray that by your spirit you would open up this truth to our hearts this evening. Make it real, make it effective and may we see afresh something of the depth of the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. This passage and this sermon is, is anything but jolly. It is the season to be jolly, 
it's Christmas. We've got the Christmas tree behind us, the candles up there. And as we sat in our um, lounge this afternoon with the grandchildren gathered around and watching an old Disney film, it was snowing outside. There they were excited. And it is the season to be jolly, but, but the road that we journey tonight in this passage of Scripture, and as, as um, Ben reminded us, we've been journeying through the Gospel of Luke, and here we come to the very end, the, the penultimate chapter. We're walking with the Lord in the very few, last few hours of his life. And it's a road of sorrow. It's a road of, of deep anguish, of suffering, of pain and of death, and, and it's a road that leads to this period of, of, of darkness, of deep, deep darkness. And, and sadly, we can't get on to chapter 24, where, where the light comes flooding in, like, like all of a sudden, the darkness goes and it's dispelled. He's risen. We can't get there this evening. But follow me with the Lord Jesus along this road, as we go through this passage, there is hope at the end, as you think, oh, you feel heavier and heavier and heavier as, as, I, as I preach and open this word. There is hope at the end. We will get there and there is hope and you'll go home with a, with a, a heart that is filled with the hope of God. So the first bit is, is verses 26 through to um, 32. And, and there we just follow the Lord along, along the road from the trial to the cross. It was a short walk, perhaps half a mile, um, from the place of the trial, from Pilate's palace to Golgotha. And, and Jesus, we're, we're told in the verses, was led there by the Roman soldiers. Crowds followed him. We must remember that the city was packed out with, with visitors from all over Israel. They were there for the Passover feast. And Jews had come from, from the, the world as it was then. To, to take part in the Passover feast. So the city was packed with visitors and, and the arrest of Jesus and the news of his execution was big news in the city. Jesus was big news. Is the Messiah here? This had been going on for three years. This expectation that this is the longed-for Messiah. There is the glorious temple on the hill. The disciples said, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvellous? This was a, an, ex, an, an era of great expectation. So the people were in Jerusalem and the news was going around. Jesus has been arrested. He's been sentenced to death. So the crowds came out to see what was going on and, 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 to, and to follow. So you can easily picture the scene that Luke paints for us here. And, and we know from the story, Jesus was badly beaten from the flogging that he'd had after the trial. And he was exhausted and he, he staggers along carrying his own cross. Two other criminals with him. And he must have stumbled or, or simply just unable to walk. The flogging was, was terrible. Many, many criminals just didn't make it that far. They died after the flogging. But here is Jesus staggering along with his cross. And then he, whatever, he, he stumbled or whatever, but the Roman soldiers saw that and seized Simon. Simon from Cyrene. Simon who just happened to be there and had made him carry Jesus' cross behind Jesus, we're told. And as, as this, this sorry people trudged along, from amongst the crowd comes this, this sound of, of mourning women, we're told. And not everyone wanted Jesus dead and gone. We've had chapters, haven't we, of people wanting Jesus got rid of, Jesus gone. But, but I'm sure the vast majority didn't want that. They'd seen Jesus at work. They, they'd learned 
to love him and what he was doing. And, and, and they were excited and, and they, were, they were sad. They'd admired him and followed him and loved him, the disciples particularly. And there was mourning and there was wailing as they walked along. And yes, it, when criminals were walking to their place of execution, it was the custom for, for some women to mourn and to wail because it was a sad time. It was the, the, the end of their life for these young men walking out there. And, and, and Luke, interestingly, interrupts this, this very moving narrative that we've had in the first two verses there. And in verses 28 and 31, he tells us that Jesus talks to this group of, of wailing, mourning women. Which, bearing in mind what is happening to Jesus, his, his utter exhaustion, isn't it amazing that he's got time to turn around to hear the, these mourning women, to turn to them. The, the passage tells us Jesus turned and he speaks to them. Almost the very last recorded words of Jesus, he speaks to these women. And what he says to them is quite a strange things in many ways and we need somehow to unpack that. It's not the type of things that you would have expected him to have said. So what does he say? He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, rather weep for yourselves and your children. It's not that Jesus didn't appreciate their sorrow and grief. I'm, I'm absolutely certain he did. He was moved by it, but his concern wasn't for him. Typical of the Lord, his concern was for others. His concern was for them and their children. Don't mourn for me. Mourn for yourselves and your children. Why? Why would Jesus want, want to say that to them? And verse 29 gives us the answer. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then at that time they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. He's quoting there from the, from the book of Hosea, chapter 10. See, Jesus sees into the future of these wailing women, these residents of Jerusalem, women of Jerusalem, he said. And he looks ahead to, to the great fall of the city in just 40 years' time. Jesus knows what's going to come. And, and we know from our history books that it's a time of, of distress and destruction upon that city like never before. The rejection and the execution of the Messiah by the Jewish leaders and the people, would incur the wrath and judgment of God. That's the, the wrath and the judgment came upon them. It was a terrible, terrible time. And that destruction came in AD 70 by the Romans. And when you read the history, it was like hell on earth. It was terrible. It was merciless. Destruction of the city and the people. The whole city was burned and levelled. The, the temple, that, the, the, the disciples just said, look at the temple. Glorious, and it must have been ripped apart, hardly a stone left on the other. And the people, young, old, rich, poor, were, were brutally murdered by the Romans, terribly. So Jesus says, don't weep or be sorry for me, says Jesus. Weep rather for yourselves and for your children. Barren women were, were generally despised in Hebrew society, but Jesus considers them blessed. For the childless would have no children to lament or to see butchered before their eyes. You can understand that, can't you? You can kind of appreciate that, that if you don't have to see your children brutally killed was the most awful thing. 
And then we have this strange verse 31. That it's quite hard. I don't fully understand it, to be honest. I'm sure Ben can enlighten us, or maybe Nick, if he fails to do so. Jesus says in verse 31, For if the people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Obviously, there's a, it's an old saying, I would imagine. And it's a strange verse, but I believe it means something in the line of this. Okay, Green wood doesn't burn very well. We know that. Dry wood burns very well. When you buy a pile of logs nowadays, it has to be dried. No moisture in there or little moisture content. Then it will burn very well. Okay, first possible meaning. If the innocent Jesus, Greenwood, suffered like this, what would be the fate of the guilty Jews, Drywood, when the fire of judgment comes upon them? It would be fierce and it would be thorough. That could be a meaning. Fits in with the context, doesn't it? Second meaning, how evil the people are when Jesus is with them. The greenwood. What evil is being shown to the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords? We've been through these chapters together and it's been a difficult time, terrible time. So how evil the people are when Jesus is with them, what will they be like when he and his influence is gone? they will burn with a, with a fierce, more fierce wickedness, like dry wood, Boosh, it will go. That's maybe some possible meanings of verse 31. So, before we continue with, with, with the Lord and go to the cross, let's just think about that daughters of Jerusalem for a while. Let's consider this teaching, this final teaching of the Lord. The destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, as the flood in Noah's time, and the obliteration of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis are all types and shadows of something far greater. Something that the Bible speaks of a lot, the final judgment of God upon this present world. The Bible is clear about that event. It it keeps coming back to it. it. It builds up to a crescendo in Revelation. Jesus talked much about it. Just a few chapters before, he went through with his disciples It was a terrible final judgment is going to come. It will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. His second advent. We've been talking about that at this Christmas time. And it's often called the day of the Lord. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said as a warning to the readers of his letter. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Or listen to the Apostle John, probably written after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. This is what John says. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks and mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Familiar words? The very same words that Jesus speaks to these women of Jerusalem. There is a day coming, a day of judgment. This judgment we see spoken to the women was was for that particular, those women, and they were unaware of that. They've got no idea what was coming. And he said, weep for yourselves. Are we aware 
that there is a day of judgment coming. It's kind of slipped out, hasn't it, of, of basic Christian teaching and, and the teaching of our nation. Years ago, the nation would have been aware that there is a day, there is a day of judgment coming. And, and I think there are many today who, who read or hear the account of the Lord's crucifixion and they feel sorry for him. They, they weep at the injustice and cruelty of, of the trial, of, of the, the, the flogging and of all these things. That he's done nothing wrong, said the criminal on the cross next to him. And, and, and people see that and they weep at it, of the injustice going on. And, and they, they see in Jesus a wonderful example of, of, of self-giving love, which of course it is. But it's more than that. As, as we remember later on, the Lord's death was a sacrificial death. He died to rescue us from what? From the wrath of God that's coming. It's a death that brought about a rescue, a salvation for people that we, centuries later, can experience and know. John the Baptist, the formidable character, the, the, the religious leaders were coming to him to be baptised because he was warning them, warning them. And John said to them, who warned you? To, uh, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's what he was preaching. There is a wrath that's coming. We mustn't lose sight of that, even at Christmas time. But in our lives in general, there is a time coming when we will all have to stand before God and give an account. Now, our sins, hopefully have been paid for already. But they need to be paid for. There are two places where sins are paid for, either on the cross, by Jesus, or by us in the day of judgment. Bear that in mind. That's the teaching for us today. And until, like the women of Jerusalem, we've wept for ourselves and our children, realising that, realising our sins before a holy God, until we've wept for our sins, until that, that judgment that's coming, then there's no hope. There's only an expectation, surely, of judgment. Are, are we ready for such a day? Our nation and our world, I, I believe, they're like dry wood. They're, t- they're tinder, ready to be burned. We, we're a godless nation nowadays. We, we despise God, we, we reject his laws, we reject his rules, we've turned our backs upon God as a nation and, and, and like the, the, the religious leaders in our passage, we want Jesus gone. To use a modern phrase, we want him and his teaching cancelled from our society. Get rid of it. That's where we're at as a nation. We're treading on dangerous ground there because we're offending the living God who is just and holy, and to be obeyed. So, so bear that in mind. The Christian influence that we've had as a nation, this, this veneer that's getting very thin, that, that came about, I'm sure, from times of great spiritual awakening generations ago, are virtually all gone. We're ripe, we're tender, we're dry, ready for God's judgment. Some would say, and I think it's taught in Romans chapter 1 and 2, that the judgment has already begun that God judges us continually until the final judgment. There are little little mini-judgments, as it were. And and one of the ways in which God judges, that that is brought out in Romans, and when we see it in life, we see it throughout life, is, is that God no longer restrains evil or sin. He almost like 
takes away the barriers and lets it go for a while. That's what it's taught in Romans. And he, he said to the, God has given us over. He said to the Romans, to sexual impurity, to shameful lusts and acts, to a depraved mind, to, to a freedom and liberty from the restraints of God. And what will be the outcome of that? Quote Romans, but those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, a good description of our society, there will be wrath and anger, trouble and distress. So, we've come out of the passage, we've applied it to ourselves for a short while. Surely there must be something in our hearts that weeps for ourselves, maybe for our children, for the world that they're coming into. As we see God's name despised and his son rejected, it's heavy stuff, I know that, I feel that myself, but this is what Jesus is getting at to these women of Jerusalem. He doesn't say, yeah, yeah, thank you for your sympathy, it's great, I'm going through a terrible time, never mind, all's going to be okay in the end. He says, no, 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 weep for yourselves and for your children because Jerusalem is coming. And he told the people earlier on, when you see the armies around Jerusalem, flee, get out. And that's, that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? Flee, hasten a man, where are you going to run to? Run to the hills, that's no good. Run to the Lord, he's going to hide you. And that's the gospel message, we run to the Lord Jesus. He, we, are, we are hidden in him. Okay, back, as it were, to the, to the passage, back to Golgotha. Suffering and salvation, verses 32 and 43 to 43. Verse 32, two other men, both criminals, they were robbers according to the other Gospels, were also led out with him to be executed. One on his left, the other on his right. He was numbered with the transgressors, a fulfilment of yet another prophecy. And Jesus prays to the Father, Father forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing in verse 34. And he was right, they didn't know what they were doing. They had no idea that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, the soldiers themselves were just doing what they were paid to do. Their barbaric and vile job. Their only perk was to divide up his clothes, which they did by casting lots, a few measly garments. Maybe they enjoyed taunting him and ridiculed him. And, and look in the next few verses, tells us of the reactions of, of the people that were there, the crowd. They, they just stood there watching. The religious leaders sneered, the soldiers mocked, looking at the notice above his head, the king of the Jews, this is the king of the Jews, and they, they taunted him, king of the Jews, eh? Save yourself, save us. And we see there again, in the midst of his suffering, the Lord is added to that suffering. It must have been awful for him. But one of the servants then turns to, to one of the criminals, turned to his fellow and rebukes him, and he says, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, the same death sentence, we are punished justly, getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then turning to Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man realises his sin. And he reaches out to the Saviour and Jesus answers him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you, today, Mr. Criminal, Mr. Robber, you will be with me in paradise. Repentance and faith in Christ lead to eternal life. This is a great verse. This is one of the clearest verses we have as to what happens to a Christian when they die. They enter immediately. 
into the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. There is no halfway house, no soul sleeping until Christ returns. Today you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. And finally, the, the last passage, darkness and death. It, it was now, Luke says, about noon. They didn't have watches in those days. It was about noon. And darkness came over the face of the whole land, it said. And events of a supernatural nature were taking place in these three hours. Darkness in reality. For the sun stopped shining. Darkness in the history of mankind. For the light of the world was being snuffed out. It was a deep Deep spiritual darkness. The wrath of God that should be poured out on us was being poured out upon his sinless son. He bore the punishment of our sin. Strange things happened. One of which the temple curtain was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Symbolically separating man from God, the separation had gone. And the, the, the truth here is that that, that that separation was gone. God and man are reconciled like we sing in, in, in the Christian hymn. The work was done. It was finished. And in the final verses, we, we see after the Lord had breathed his last, the impact on the death of those who are watching. The centurion, he praised God and declared the righteousness of Christ. The people, they beat their breasts and they just went away. And then, I love this bit, those who knew Jesus, verse 49, his followers, his disciples, those who loved him and had served him, including the women from Galilee. They stood at a distance watching, watching. So we, we've travelled the road of sorrows tonight. I, I think you've sensed the, the difficulty, the heaviness that were there. We, we, we've sensed and felt the darkness of that Friday afternoon. And like the followers of Jesus, those who knew him, as many of us are, those who loved him. We're looking, not in disbelief, but in utter belief. Isn't that the way the Lord encourages us to be? To look to him. To look to his death on the cross and to see our sins punished there. We do that as we celebrate communion together, but it's more than that. We are to be watching in belief for his second advent, for his return, his glorious return in power and in majesty. Until he comes, we, we say in a few minutes time, remembering his body broken and his blood shed for us, we do it until he comes. That's the light at the end of the darkness. When he comes, it will be glorious light. Absolutely glorious light. And those of us who are watching and waiting for his appearing, we lift up our heads. The Lord is coming. The others, there was call upon the mountains and the hills. Who will hide us from the wrath of God and the Lamb? We have no fear of God's wrath. It was dealt with at the cross. Dealt with by the Lord completely, fully. We can have absolute assurance that our sins are forgiven and that God who was once against us is for us. He loves us. He has given his Son for us. That's the light. The light we share in the communion. The light we look forward to at Christmas. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the light at the end of that long tunnel. And we thank you that that light is a reality. As we see it in the pages of Scripture, so Lord, write it in our hearts, we pray, that we might have hope and confidence and assurance 
that we are in Christ, that our sins are forgiven, that we are right with you. Amen.